the greatest enterprise in the whole world. How many believe that? We're part of the gospel commission, amen, this morning. It is such an honor to be a part of God's kingdom. I want to talk this morning about us being a local church with a global mission, amen. And you know, a lot of churches say that. We read the, we read the Bible and we understand that. Uh, if you'll go to Matthew 28 this morning in your Bibles, I want to talk about the local church with a global mission and just remind us how blessed we are to be a part of a work that is way beyond the, the city of Denton, Texas. Um, I thought this was kind of interesting. When I, when I go to look for a background and something that I can put up for you guys to have an idea what I'm preaching about in case you begin to daydream, that's why that's there, so you can come back home, amen, to your, in your mind if you want something to land on. But I was uh, Googling, and I thought about saying something like, from Denton, Texas to the world. So I put that in, and it was pretty interesting on that. By putting Denton, Texas to the world, I found several of our church posts, like Easter and our logo and our church on that page, just by putting from Denton, Texas to the world. And so I think that that's prophetic, amen, this morning, that out of, out of this city, you know, our church here is making an impact around the world. And uh, every single month, we send finances to, to Ireland, to Czech Republic, to Slovakia, to Kenya, to Congo, to Canada, to Mexico, um, to Cuba, to all these churches around the world, and that's just some of them. Um, that we we support and are part of our fellowship of churches and and it, so I said a lot of a lot of churches understand that it's a global mission to preach the gospel but they don't a lot of times get beyond their doors it's all here and we understand there's a work here in Denton Texas but God blesses and honors and has His hand upon a church that thinks outside of their own four walls and thinks about the world, and thinks about other countries. And so I just want you to not take for granted this morning how blessed we are to be a part of a work that's around the world. And how many know, though, to reach the world with the gospel is a big, big task. It's a humongous task. And it's actually a lot bigger than we can even imagine, but I want to give you an example of how big it is. If, if you were to get on a plane this morning and fly to Beijing, China, it's a long ways away, and got out of the plane and got into the city and began to preach. And you were able and blessed to be able to preach the gospel to a 1,000 people in one day. How many would say that would be very successful? I mean, uninhibited, no law problems. Uh, it's actually not even legal to do that, but I'm telling you if it was, you could preach the gospel, pass out Bibles, tell people about Jesus with no inhibitants, uh, and you'd go to bed that night and say, man, I did something amazing. I just reached a 1,000 people with the gospel. So if you woke up the next morning and you went out to the streets of Beijing, China, and you preached again, and another 1,000 people heard the gospel, that'd be amazing. If you did that for seven days, you will have, we would have reached 7,000 people at the end of the week. That'd be pretty amazing, right? If you did that every single day with no holidays, not taking off for Christmas and Easter and all those things, but every single day had the opportunity to go out and reach 1,000 people, by the time one year was over, you would have reached 365,000 people in China. Now, that's amazing, and, and, and if I did that, I would be thanking God. Amen. I would be so amazed. But here's the perspective of how big of a task it is to reach this world. 
If we did that every single day for 100 years, we would reach 3.6 million people. To reach the entire nation of China, reaching 1,000 people a day would take one person 3,600 years just to reach China. That's one-fifth of the population. So you say that and you think, man, it sounded, it sounded excited when it started, didn't it? Wow, 1,000 people in one day. But it shows how big of a task it is to reach the world with the gospel. But here's the good news. God didn't call one person to reach the world. He called everybody to go out and do something for the gospel to reach this lost and dying world. And you and I are one of those, and that's why we're part of the greatest enterprise in the world. And those that you are clapping are the ones I'm talking to this morning. Amen? God wants to use you, and God wants to use me. I and you by ourselves are an army with God. But together we can do more than we can ever do by ourselves. And so Matthew chapter 28 says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we also realize that Mark 16, 15 says, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. How many know that that is our call this morning? We're supposed to witness. We're supposed to preach. We're supposed to share our faith with other people. But we have to understand that I can, I can do something on a global uh, uh, foundation by starting here in the local church. Many of us here will never be able to fly to another country. Some of you here have never been out of Denton County. I actually know somebody. My uncle who passed away a couple years ago had never left Denton County. He was 90 years old when he died. That's pretty wild. Some of you have been in different parts of the world, but there's nothing like going to another place and reaching somebody for Jesus and fulfilling the Great Commission. And so some of you say, yeah, but that's, that's not my call. That's not what I'm going to do. I'm never going to be there. I'm never going to do that. And that may be the case. You, you, whatever you say you won't do, you won't do. Amen. But there are some things you can do here in the local church that will help us reach a global world. And that's the stuff I want to talk about this morning. So if you're taking notes, I want to give you four things that we can do this morning. You know, when you begin to think about the world and we think about this Great Commission, can you imagine what it was like 2,000 years ago when Jesus told his disciples, I want you to go preach the gospel to the whole world, and they didn't even know how big the world was. They didn't have the technology we have today. They didn't have videos. They didn't have a way to see a map. For example, I was using technology to see how far away Nairobi, Kenya is from here that I'm going to be going to on Thursday. It's 8,700 miles away. It's, it's, there's not too many places in the world that are much further away than East Africa from here. And if you go west, sorry, east, going towards the east coast, and you fly across the ocean, and you go towards Europe, and you go towards then over into Africa, and you go that direction, from here to Nairobi is 8,700 miles, 20 hours in a plane. In a plane going 560 miles an hour. Takes 20 hours to get there. Just to put in perspective how big this world is. 
How many have ever driven to conference in Colorado Springs? Let me see your hands. Maybe you've flown there. Either way, flying or driving, it's about 670 miles. When we drive, it takes about 12 hours to get there, just to drive 600 miles. Well, in a plane at 560 miles an hour, you're almost getting to Colorado Springs in one hour. That distance that takes all day to drive. And Nairobi is 20 hours away. So you start to think about how big this world is. And the interesting thing about the disciples is when Jesus told them, go and reach the world, they didn't know how big the world was. So it was probably a good thing. Can you imagine us today in the world we're in not having the gospel spread at all and Jesus comes to Denton, Texas and says, Denton, Texas, this church right here, I want you to go reach the entire world. How many know that would be a daunting task even with technology. We would begin to look at what I'm looking at. Man, I got to fly 8,700 miles. I have to be in a tube for 20 hours when I don't like to be in an elevator for 30 seconds. Amen. I I have to travel against all these time zones to get to another place in the world. How are we ever going to do this? But thank God the disciples did not know how big the world was at that time. And so they said, yes, Jesus will go. And what they began to do was just went. They just went and they began to preach. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul sitting in our service this morning and watching that video of a pastor over a screen talking to us from Nairobi, Kenya? Wouldn't that have been awesome, right, for him? He would have been amazed and he might have been mad at us and saying, why aren't you doing more with this technology? Now, one thing that's funny about Pastor Safari, I was just thinking about this, I didn't mention this in the first service, is... He Africans would call that. See, today he's kind of used to that now, having the technology. And for me to contact him on Messenger and say, hey, give me a minute video. Tell the church. The church wants to hear from you. Tell the church. they Because he had told me a couple weeks ago, I want to thank your church for sending you. So I said, send him a video, and I'll play it. A lot of years ago, Pastor Safari would have called that white, white man's, uh, white, white mag, what, what was it? What, there you go. White man's witchcraft. That's what he he would have called it. One time a few years ago, he came to preach for us here. And um, I had heard him say that when I was in Nairobi eight years ago. He said something about white man's witchcraft. So I picked him up at the airport, and I had a truck that had automatic start. And so I took him out from the airport, and I had my hand in my pocket, and I said, Pastor Safari, I want you to tell that truck to start. And he's like, what? Yeah, just say truck start. And he said... And I said, just do it. And he said, truck start. And I hit that button, and he jumped back. He said, that's white man's witchcraft. He said, stop that. <laughs> so you just think about the technology today that we have, and some of, some of, some of them would look at it in a, in a bad way. But it's a daunting task. But you know what we do a lot of times? I was thinking about this. In our lives, we think, man, I'll never, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Maybe you have something at your house, something in your life, something in your career it seems like you're never going to get it done. What do we do a lot of times when something seems like it'll never get done? We do nothing. Right? We do nothing. And I believe that what God is calling us to do this morning is to do something. Just to do something. Because I I feel that way sometimes. You know, I look back at my life now at 44 and 25 years in the marriage. I look at some of the things the Lord has used me to do, and I still feel like I've done nothing. When I begin to look at the daunting task of trying to reach this world, I say, I've done nothing. When I look at sometimes what other people have done for the Lord, I think I've done nothing. But God is asking us to do something. It's better to do something 
than nothing. Can you say amen? And so I want to challenge you this morning to begin to ask God in which of these areas you could begin to work on. The number one first one is preaching and witnessing. If you're taking notes, preaching and witnessing. These are things that God has called us to do to be the local church with a global mission. The gospel does not get to us today if somebody's not preaching the gospel. The gospel does not get to us today if somebody doesn't open up their mouth and tell you there's hope. You know, a lot of times we think, what am I going to say? Here's, I'm going to tell you something to say. Say, Jesus loves you. Say, there's hope in Jesus. Amen? Say, Jesus has a plan for your life. You know, a lot of times we begin to think about witnessing and sharing our faith. Uh, Some of you guys have the most amazing testimonies. I think sometimes, man, if I had your testimony, I would never shut up. I would be talking all the time about what the Lord has done for me. Some of you have been saved from such miraculous things in your lives, and and we keep that quiet to ourselves. But other people aren't bold. They say, I don't don't know how to talk to people. I I don't know how to share my faith. I don't know what to say. And that's why we have tracks. We have something you can put in your hand. I want everybody to just go like this with your hand. Put your fist up like this, and I want you to just go like that. How many did that? That's all you got to do is take a Jesus card, take a, a gospel track, and put it in somebody's hand. We're going we're gonna to get some more tracks from Chick Tracks made that you could just put it in their hands and let them read it. Amen? How many know you can at least do that? You could be at the store. You could be at the gas station. You could be at school. Just give them something to read. One of the things that really helped me understand many years, and I still believe this today, is that I'm not supposed to save anybody, nor can I. God's the one that does the saving. All God asks us to do is open our mouths. All God asks us to do is preach. What are we preaching? Preaching that there's hope for their lives. Preaching that Jesus is the answer for the, for the, for the suicidal thoughts that they're having. Preaching that Jesus changed my life. You know, I was telling a guy the other day, I gave him something at the gas station. I just said, here, I want you to read this. Jesus changed my life 25 years ago. If you want to know how, I'll tell you. How, how many know that's not that hard to say? Amen. Just to open your mouth and say something because if you think about it this morning, if you're here and you're saved, it's because somebody preached to you. Somebody witnessed to you. And it it might not have even been in this city or in this country that somebody witnessed to you. They might have been someplace else in in the world. Somebody opened up their mouth. Let's look at Romans chapter 10, if you would. Verse 14. I want to, I want to go over this. I've mentioned this several times in the last few weeks and I think it's really important to understand it because it's a principle. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. Give me an amen when you get there. As you get to Romans 10, verse 14, the the preceding verses say in the Bible, the way that we can get saved and the way we become saved, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For the mouth is with confession, with the heart is uh, with belief and righteous for your righteousness. That's how you're saved. And then it goes on to say in the following verse, in verse 14, how that happens. It says, how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? They cannot believe on somebody they've never heard of. How shall they believe in whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Tell the person next to you, you're a preacher. I didn't see everybody do it, so I'm just going to wait until you tell somebody, you're a preacher. 
Now I want you to take your hand and point at him. Say, you're a preacher. Good job. We're all preachers here. But remember when you point at somebody else, you got three fingers pointing back at you. Amen? We're all preachers in here. Oh, I'm not called to preach. Yes, you are. We're all called to preach. Mark says, Mark says that we're all called to preach. We're all called to witness. Some may be better at it. Some may have a better flow of words, but we're all called to preach. We're all called to tell people. And you know what? We all have a lot of different gifts and ways we can do that as well. But we have to understand that preaching and witnessing is what gets the gospel going. I don't believe that all those disciples that Jesus called to follow him had a, had a flow of, of speech. Look at, look at some of the people he used in the Bible. Look at Moses. He called Moses to lead those Israelites out of, out of bondage when he said, I can't even speak. I've, he slurred in speech, and he had to have his brother Aaron, or his brother-in-law, talk, to, you know, talk for him. And, and you see all through the Bible where there's people in the Bible that are struggling, and God calls people who don't know how to, how to how, don't have it all together, and he says, I want you to do something for me. I want, you, I want you to be used in the greatest enterprise in the world. So I want you to preach. I want you to witness. And then we realize I can't change nobody. All I'm supposed to do is tell them, and then God works on them. Apollos and Paul sowed and planted in water, as it said, and then God gives the increase. But can you imagine this morning uh, a farmer expecting to see a harvest from seed he's never planted? We have to put that seed out there. We say sometimes, man, I want my family to be saved. I want my neighborhood to be saved. I want those kids to be saved. Well, who's going to do something about that if it's not you and it's not me? We've got to make a difference. We have to understand there's a global vision. Number two is God wants you to be a disciple. God wants you to be a disciple. Now, this is a two-way thing as well. As I said, everybody's called to preach. God wants all of us to be a disciple and he wants all of us to be discipling. Okay, that's scriptural, and I'm going to show you that to you. I, I will never stop being a disciple. I'll, until the day I die, I will be a, I am a disciple. I might be somebody who God uses to disciple other people, but I am a disciple. I'm still learning. I want to learn. I want God to teach me things. I'll never, it doesn't matter how many times I've read through this Bible. Every time I read it for another time, I see something I never saw before. It's not a new truth, but it's, it's a new revelation. It's a new understanding. It's a new application to what God was trying to say to me in this thing because it's a living word. And so Acts chapter 17 it shows us an attitude that we should have. These Bereans, the Bible calls them, they were a type of people. It says these were fair-minded, more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word in readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Church, you need to be coming to this place. You need to come with an attitude of learning. You need to come with an attitude of hunger, and you need to say, teach me, Lord. Teach me your word, God. Show me how to live my life. Show me how to be a blessing. Show me how to be an example. Show me how to set myself apart from somebody else. Come in and say, Lord, I, I, want, I want you to give me something new today. I'm hungry to be discipled. And then once you learn, then you do what 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says. And the things you heard from me among many witnesses, commit these things to faithful men that they should teach others. 
See how discipleship is two-way? So I'm learning, and then I'm teaching what I learn. I said this in the first service. You know, a lot of times we look at other people, and we say, man, that person's really got a blessing on their life. They, they really have a good marriage, or they really are good with their kids, or they're really good at having a business, or this seems like they've got a really good prayer life, or whatever it is, and instead of being jealous of that person, why don't we go to that person or people and say, can you teach me what you've learned from the Word of God? I see that your marriage is blessed. I see that your finances are blessed. I see that you have a, a way of, of witnessing to people. Whatever it is, we could go to that person and say, could you teach me? But see, that would take humility. God wants us to be humble. Amen? That was a really good place. You see, whenever you mention that word pride, well, I didn't even say pride, but whenever pride comes up, we're prideful people. Right? Instead, I've told this before. Pastor Bland in our fellowship, he, he, I watched him for many years. His, his, he's, I think, a 10 or 10, probably 10 years older than me at least. He's in his late 50s, I think maybe 15, and I would watch him at conferences, and he would come with his kids. He has four kids. Is it three? Three, sorry. He'd come with his kids, and I would watch his kids at the conferences. I'd watch how they'd carry themselves. I'd watch them in the prayer room. I'd pray with one eye open and one eye shut. I'd be looking at his kids pray. I'd watch them at different times of the conference during the week. And I, and I saw that those kids were serving God, and I saw I watched him interact with his wife. And, and so I'd, I went up to him one, one year, and I said, Pastor Bland, I, I'm, I watch your kids, and I see how they are. I said, can you tell me some, some nuggets? Can you teach me some things? So that Because my daughters were younger at that time. I said, can you teach me some things of what you do with your, with your daughters, your kids, so I can have kids like that? And he told me some things. I wrote them down. And I worked on that, and I put that stuff into my play. Same thing with marriages. When I saw a marriage that was a good marriage, I'd say, hey, what, what is it that you're doing? And I'd learn. We've got to be learners. If we're going to make a global impact, we have to learn and not be too prideful to say or, or, or have the wrong attitude to say, well, they're just blessed. I'm so jealous of them. No, what, what is it that you're doing that's making you be fruitful? And so that discipleship goes both ways. I'm learning, and then I say, hey, look what I learned, and I pass it on to somebody else. And the Bible wants us and tells us that we have to have that diligent spirit. The last verse I want to talk about with discipleship is it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, we must be diligent to present ourselves approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightfully dividing the word of truth. Church, we need to be a people who understand we are not called to just come to church and fellowship. We're called to make an impact. Amen. We're called to touch other people's lives. We have to learn to apply these things. I, I showed on Wednesday night a, a, a Mormon young man who was confronted on the street, did not know what he believed, and he looked foolish. How many don't want to look foolish when somebody confronts your faith? How many know we should know what the Bible says and know what we believe? Don't be the person that, don't quote me. Don't say Pastor Blake said don't say Pastor Jones said, and I'm not talking about a, a good quote. I'm talking about scripture. Don't quote people. Quote the Bible. Amen. Say the Bible says this. This is what the Bible says. But how are you going to know that if you don't study it out? If you don't get in the word like the Bereans and say, I'm going to search this out and make sure that what they're saying is biblical. So number one, we preach, we witness. Number two, we disciple and we share our things we've learned with others. And number three, we learn to give. We become givers. Givers of our time, 
givers of our talents. You know, in this place, there's a lot of talents. A lot of the things that have gone into this building and the, and the work and videos and all these, everybody's bringing their talents. The instruments, the musicians, uh, people that cook delicious things, and everybody's working. There's talents in the Sunday school area right now. There's lots of talents going on being brought into this place so that we can have a place where we can be equipped to go back out and make a difference. So we give of our talents. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, if you would. And I know this has been mentioned even, I think, might have been mentioned last week. And we mentioned it a lot at the time of offering and tithes. And I want to say this, that sometimes we could get bothered maybe in our flesh, because it's always our flesh, when we take up an offering or we take up faith promises or, or we talk about tithe. We spend a few minutes teaching the principles of giving. So all we're trying to do is teach you the principles of giving. And I want you to know there's some churches that take an hour on the offering. So if you think we take a long time, I've been to places where they took an hour on the offering. And then they took up a second one. Amen? And, and so it's not about that. We're trying to teach principles here. But we have to understand without finances, it's impossible to, to further the gospel. But God is wanting to use our resources and a lot of times we don't realize that a verse can have a double meaning. And so in your notes, if you're taking notes, 2 Corinthians, I want you in your own time later to read chapter 8 and chapter 9 because it mentions the whole two chapters talk about giving. And another thought is this. If you think, oh, they take up an offering at every service. If you think we take up a lot of offerings, go read the book of Acts. They had to give their, they sold their houses. They sold their possessions I mean, read 42 to 47 of Acts chapter 2. They were, they were way beyond giving a tithe and an offering. We actually are probably falling short on what the Bible did. So we are just simply teaching principles and, and seeing, God, how can I be in your economy so that the gospel can be preached around the world? Look at 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Give me an amen if you're there. And this principle right here in verse 6 works not just for giving of our time or our finances or our talents, but it also goes back to number 1 and number 2 where it says, I say to you, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. How many know if you give your time to something, you get back what you give in? You know, a lot of people, I think, want to see God move in their lives, but they don't want to invest anything. They want to see a revival. They say they want to see things happen. They say they want to get people saved. They say, they say, they say. But this isn't, it doesn't say anything about here about saying things. It says sowing and reaping. So it goes back to that farm thing. How ridiculous would it be for a farmer to be looking out over his harvest and, or, his, or his land and saying, how come I have not seen anything grow? But he never put anything in the ground. How ridiculous would that be? But sometimes as believers, we do that. We, we want to harvest, but we don't want to sow anything. No sow, no reap. And so according to how I give, according to how much I preach, you know how many people I'm going to see saved in my lifetime? According to how much I sow seed in my preaching and my witnessing. It's not going to be an accident. If there's a lot of people saved in heaven because of my preaching and witnessing, it's because I sowed a lot of seeds. I'm not going to get up there and be surprised. Wow, I didn't think I preached that much. I didn't think I witnessed that much. 
And, 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 the, and the opposite is, no one's going to get up there that hasn't sowed and say, Where, where's everybody at? If you, if you have never led somebody to the Lord, you're missing out on the greatest addiction there is in the world. The joy of seeing somebody say the sinner's prayer and give their life to Jesus is the greatest addiction there is. It's addicting to see that. It's something you want more of, man, to see somebody say, I want that Jesus you have. And so it goes back to that seed we're sending. So 7 says, let each one give as he purposes in his heart. We talked about this in Discipleship Friday morning. Not grudgingly or of necessity, meaning not with the wrong attitude. For God loves a cheerful giver. You give somebody a Jesus card and you're not smiling and you're not happy, just keep it in your pocket. They're not going to want it. Right? Don't just, that don't, so it goes, it's not just money. It's don't do anything grudgingly. You know, it's like being in the serving line. We'll go back to get food. Here, take this. Right? That's not the, everything we do has got to be with the right attitude. It's got to be done in love. It's got to be done with the right heart and not grudgingly, not, not out of necessity, but a, God loves a cheerful giver. So that's not just money. God loves when, he, when we cheerfully give of ourselves. I'll go, Lord. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm going to do it, Lord. I'm, 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 I'm willing. I'm ready. Now, there's some days you don't wake up and feel that way, right? But that's the day you say, like John did, I'm, let me read a verse that's going to motivate me this morning. Let me read something that's going to get me pumped up so I can face this day. We, gotta, we have to challenge ourselves. And then it finally says, watch this, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you having sufficiency, all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. How many would like to have abundance in everything? Amen? In everything. God says he wants you to do something and you you go get it out of your abundance. Now there's times you have to sacrifice, but he's saying here that if we're sowing and reaping correctly, we'll have abundance. The last thing, number four, is praying. Preaching and witnessing is one. Two is disciple. Three is giving. Four is praying. Here's where none of us have an excuse. Might say, man, I'm not bold enough to witness. Uh, I'll never be a good witness, or I don't know if I could disciple somebody. Uh, what's my $100 going to do to help the kingdom be advanced? But here's where, here's where the true heroes are, the prayer warriors. I believe this with all my heart. When we get to heaven, there's going to be a special crown for people who sought the Lord in prayer. People who, who did it behind the scenes, they didn't, they didn't do it, like Jesus said, publicly to be seen by other people, but they got a hold of God, and they prayed for the harvest, and they prayed for people, and they prayed for the church. I've told you for, for a long time, I love it when somebody tells me they pray for me. That is better than anything you can tell me. When, they, when, someone, when I go to a conference or I go preach somewhere else and someone says, we've been praying for you, I shake their hand, look them in the eyes and say, thank you. I really appreciate that. That's the most important thing you can do for me is pray for me. And I say, pray more. Pray more for me. How many want someone praying for you? Amen. Isn't it a powerful thing to hear that someone's been praying? Have you ever had somebody tell you that? I've been praying for you. That means God's put you on their mind. It's a powerful thing. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 30, 37, he said this, this fact, the harvest is plentiful. That means there's a lot of lost people out there. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit. There's a lot of people who want to know Jesus, 
You know what one of our problems is? We think everybody knows Jesus. We think everybody's heard. Here in Texas in the Bible Belt, we think everybody has heard the gospel. We think everybody knows. Everybody's heard the name Jesus probably, but a lot of times it's been in a cuss word. A lot of people heard of the word church. A lot of people heard the word God. But have people really, truly been presented the gospel? When you think about what the gospel is, that's that somebody took my place of penalty of death and died in my place. That's the gospel. Somebody paid my price, paid a debt I could never owe. That's the gospel. How many people have truly heard the gospel? He says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Los obreros son pocos. Amen? Very few workers. This, this shouldn't be the case in this local church. Can we, can, we, can we be different? Can we not be like everybody else? Can we say, no, Lord, we're going to be a church that's workers, that understand there's a local church that has a global mission, and we want to make a difference in Denton and extend it out to the world. And we're not going to be like everybody else and have few workers. You know, there's a saying that says 20% of the people in the church do 80% of the work. It's the same thing with with finances. 20% of the church finances the church. I don't believe that's the case here. I don't believe that's the heart of our church. I believe everybody wants to be involved. Everybody wants to do something. And if we're not doing something, there's an opportunity to do something. And you say, man, we don't have this ministry. We don't do this in the church. Well, that's because you're supposed to be doing it. Amen. Don't be a part of the problem. Be a part of the solution. Everybody can say what we don't have, but who's going to stand up and say, I'll go, I'll do it, I'll do that ministry, I'll do that thing that God's called me to do, because God's calling you to do it. Amen. Jesus was praying for his disciples as I close in John 17, and he says this, sanctify them, verse 17, by your truth. He says, your word is truth, and then Jesus prays, teaching you how to pray. He prays for his disciples, and he says to God, you sent me into this world I also have sent them into the world. So see how you see the discipleship there? God sent Jesus. Jesus sent his disciples. His disciples sent other disciples. Those other disciples sent other disciples. Now a lot of disciples are in between us and Jesus, but somebody got the gospel to us. Do you realize that? Somebody got the gospel to us. Are you going to drop the ball or are you going to pass it on to somebody else? I can't answer that for you. You can't answer that for me. But you know what? We can answer it as a church. And we can say, Lord, as long as you tarry until the day you come back, we're going to be a church with a global vision. We're not not perfect. We don't have it all together. We don't do everything we should do. I look back sometimes at, like I said earlier, anything I've been able to do for God, and I say, it's not enough. It'll never be enough. But but I've got to do something. Amen. It goes back to that thing where we say, well, I, it's, it's just too big of a task. I mean, 3,600 years to reach China? Why even try? Because God didn't tell us that. He said, just go and preach the gospel. Let, leave it to God. Let, let God be the Lord of the harvest. He says, pray for those laborers that they'll come. Another way you can pray is Job chapter 1. I said it when we were praying for the students. Verse 10 said that, that Job prayed for a hedge of protection. 
We need to pray for a hedge of protection around our church. We need to pray for a hedge of protection around our pastors, around our leaders, around our children, around our marriages, that the blood of Jesus would protect us and keep us safe and, 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 and guard us. I'm going to close with this. Ezekiel 22.30 says this. God is looking for a man or a woman who'd make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land. How many know that God's calling somebody to stand up and say, I'm going to stand in the middle of the devil and, and, and the plan of God. I'm going to stand there. I'm going to stop the devil from doing what he wants to do. I'm not going to allow it. Stand for the land. Stand for your city. Stand for your church. Stand for your family. But the sad thing in this verse, and I don't believe this is for us. I don't believe this is the case here. He says, I found nobody. I don't ever want to hear that from God. I, I called you and you didn't answer. He, he's calling this morning. What are you doing for the kingdom of God, for the gospel to be advanced? Don't have the attitude. It's such a daunting task. What am I going to do? Do something. And if you've been doing something, keep doing it. Even if it's a little bit, keep doing it. Don't, don't sit back and be a spectator. God did not call us to spectate. Can't do everything. I've been there too. I want, I've been, when I was in Costa Rica, I wanted to do everything. Every ministry that came along, every opportunity that came along, I wanted to do it and do it, and I jumped in it, and I tried, and I got to a place where God said, look, you're trying to do so much, you're not doing anything. So you learn how to do what God wants you to do, but you can't be everywhere. You can't do everything. So it's better to do something good than a lot of things bad. Amen? Do something. Say, God, how can I be a giver? How can I be a prayer warrior? How can I disciple somebody? You know what? I want to disciple the whole church. That's, that's our mentality. It's, it's like dieting. I'm going to lose 50 pounds. But you don't do what you need to do to lose one. Come on, let's be real. Why don't people ever do what they what they? Because we make this we make this daunting task, and uh, I'm gonna you know it's I'm gonna lose 50 pounds this year. Get that one done first. Lose the one pound, and then go for the second one. Oh, I'm gonna disciple five people this year. Disciple one first, and the first person we should disciple is ourselves. Become a disciple, and then you can disciple others. So preaching, discipling, giving, and praying, I just gave you some absolutely tangible things you can do this morning to be a part of a global mission. When we think about that, we think, I got to get on a plane to go to Africa. I got I to gotta go to another country. Did you know that we're in a country that has lots and lots of people from around the world and mission work is crossing cultural lines? So your mission field is your neighborhood. It's probably somebody from a different country in your street. There's definitely someone from a different country in your school and your workplace. If God calls you someday to go to another country and do that, that's great. But he's going to ask you to be faithful to your neighborhood first. He's going to ask you to be faithful to your family first, to make a difference in the small areas. And then once you get that, then God will give you more. He says, faith with little, I'll give you much. So, I challenge you this morning to think about some of these things and realize and not take for granted that we are a part of a church that has a global vision. Again, we fail, we make mistakes, we fall short, we don't do everything we could do. You know, sometimes I think about 
man, I, we need to feed people. We need to, we need to go put wells in Africa. We need to, we need to have habitat for humanity. We, I mean, you start thinking about all the things we could do. But God, God called us to equip people here to learn how to be disciples. And then from there, then we have a foundation to go out and do more. And each person individually will do what God calls them to do. But you can't get the cart before the horse. We've got to know who Jesus is first and be disciples. Amen. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for teaching us and speaking to us and challenging us. Thank you for a heart this morning that has missions, missions-minded, Father, that our hearts are global, that we do live in a day-to-day, Father, with technology, that this, even this message, Father, can be heard around the world. What a miracle that is on the world wide web. Lord, that we could hear from Pastor Safari in Nairobi, Kenya this morning by just hitting a button. You've equipped us with so much this morning. And now what you're really looking for is just an attitude of willingness. Lord, I want to thank you for every person in this place that is already working, already doing something for you, already sacrificing and, 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 and answering the call. That, Lord, you'd give them a, a blessing and a, an attitude to continue and say, Lord, I, I might not see the fruit and the harvest that I want to see, but I know that I'm doing something. When that seed is in the ground, you can't see it growing until it punches through the ground and becomes a plant or a flower or a vegetable. Lord, I believe that many people here might be discouraged, and I pray that they would not be discouraged, and they would not try to rend the world, but they would try to start by just doing some of these basic principles. And then we can go on to bigger things. As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed across this place, there's nothing more important in this place. The reason we're open today as a church is because we're an agency for souls. We want people to be saved. We want people to put Jesus Christ as the Lord of their life. We believe that Jesus paid everything that needed to be paid on that cross. And he who believes in him shall be saved. If you're here this morning and you've never said a prayer of repentance and said, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I need a Savior. The Bible says in Corinthians that today is the acceptable day of the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. If you're here this morning and you've never said that prayer, if today you were to pass into eternity and breathe your last breath and you don't know where you'd spend eternity because it's forever. It's a long time. But you want to be sure we can pray with you this morning. And the Bible says you can be forgiven and be saved. If you're here and that's you and you've never said that prayer, would you just be honest with God and lift your hand up and put it back down and say, would you pray for me this morning? Amen. God bless you. How many more all over this place? God bless you. I don't know Jesus. God bless you. I need a Savior. I need to know the Lord. I need to know that my heart's not right. I, I, know, I know I can be forgiven. Listen, the good news this morning. It doesn't matter if we preach the good news in another country. If we don't preach it here, the good news is Jesus saves. Jesus sets free. This place this morning is full of men and women who have had their lives changed and transformed. As we stand to our feet this morning, I want to ask one more time. I want to do one more invitation. If you really meant that this morning and you're serious, 
I really believe in making a public confession of your faith. And the reason is because Jesus' word says we can't be ashamed of him. He says, if you'll confess me before man, I'll confess you before my Father that's in heaven. If you deny me before man, I'll deny you before my Father that's in heaven. If you're here this morning, maybe you're here and you have been here a long time and never raised your hand, never made a public confession of your faith. Even if you didn't raise your hand today, but you know today something inside is telling you, this is the day, this is my day. I need to be ready. And if you raised your hand or you didn't, I would ask you just real quickly just to step out of your seat and come down to this altar real quick. I want to pray with you this morning. Just step out and come down. Make way for them. Just just tell the person next to you, excuse me, I'm going to come out. I'm going to come down. Amen. I saw several hands go up. I'm going to wait just a moment. I know that the Holy Spirit's dealing with some people. It's a serious thing. If If you can't, Stand for the Lord here in the church. It's going to be tough for you to do it outside. And we're all on the same team. But there's an enemy that hates you this morning. He hates who you are. He hates that you even thought about giving your life to Jesus. You know, Jesus died on that cross naked, beaten, in front of everybody. They were mocking him. And he he stayed on that cross. He could have at any moment called legions of angels down to destroy everybody. But he stayed on that cross for you. The least we can do is say, Jesus, I'm not ashamed of you. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, first for the, for the Greek Jew, then the Gentile. Amen. Father, I pray this morning that you would look at our hearts and know our hearts this morning. I, I ask that everybody here would repeat this after me. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner according to your word. I have fallen short of your glory. The wages of my sin is death. But your word also says the gift of God is eternal life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you paid the price for all of my mistakes on the cross. When you shed your blood in obedience for me. I also believe you rose from the dead and conquered death. Jesus, come into my life this morning. Be my master, my Lord, and my Savior. Please write my name in the Lamb's book of life. In Jesus' name, amen. As we pray this morning, as they begin to sing a song, I want to open the altar this morning. Maybe you're here and you say, There's some areas that the Holy Spirit is speaking to me on this morning. I've been lacking in. There's some areas in my life that I I know that God is calling me to be more involved in, whether it's witnessing, giving, discipling, being discipled, praying. Those are areas that we can put into work right now. We We can place before God and say, God, I'm not qualified. I don't know how to do this. And God says, I didn't call you to qualify you. I'll do that work after you say yes. I'm not calling you because you're ready. I'm not calling you because you're qualified. I'm calling you because I'm the one who qualifies. If you'll just be willing and say, Lord, use me today, he will. It's a big vision. It's a big world. But if all of us do our part, the gospel will be preached. As we sing this song, let's just talk to the Lord, find a place at the altar.
You can find a place at your seat, but let's spend a few minutes and let this message sink in this